And good morning once again. Good morning, good morning. It's, it's, uh, it's a good day when you can gather and worship God together and to worship God in a, in a way that we can engage our hearts with God and we can, we can do that together in community. And so it's a fantastic day to be able to do that. So we thank you for being here. Again, welcome. If, if this is one of your first times, it's, fan, it's good for you to be here. And we thank you uh, for just, just checking us out. And we pray that you feel at home in, this, in the midst of, of the, the family here. This is the family. So we're, we're uh, working through a series of messages following Jesus' life from his baptism right through to his actual resurrected appearance to the disciples after Easter. So the week after Easter, we'll actually be wrapping up this, this series. And so we've been working through that. And so uh, we'll continue that today. And it being Palm Sunday, which is, if you follow the church calendar at all, Palm Sunday is the Sunday just before Easter. So next Sunday is Easter, if you can believe that. It is upon us already. And, uh, and the weather lately has kind of made, maybe made us think that it's not here yet, but no, it is here. Spring is here, and so is Easter. So have you ever been to a sportive, sporting event where, where the crowd is really into it, or you know, the air is charged with expectation, and, and the energy in the room is like you, you can sense it, and you're a part of it, and, and you know, it's kind of contagious, right? You're in the midst, and if it's going well, you just kind of get swept along in the, in the wave of what's happening. I mean, sports fans, music fans, like just different ones, different kinds of fans of different types of different stripes, they can get pretty passionate sometimes. And that's, that's not a bad thing, you know, like passionate can be a great thing, you know, you can sense it, maybe you're in the rink, maybe you're in the stadium, maybe at the conference venue. It, it might even be that while watching a certain Super Bowl on TV with a, with a group of friends, when a certain person might, when a team scored a touchdown, they, they might even stand up and do a little dance of celebration when that happens, and... and um, <sighs> That's what sports fans do, and, and I'm not going to mention any names, and I won't even mention the area that that person might be sitting in, but boy, it's hard for me not to do that. And that's what sporting fans do, and that's great. It's, I'm just, honestly, I'm not one of them, just, and everybody's like, don't throw a chair or anything, it's okay. It's like, I don't need to get saved because of that. I just, it's okay. Uh, and and I've actually, I find it sometimes hard for me to find a hobby as well. It's like, for example, I tried wood carving. So I, I took a couple blocks of wood and I took and, and I started carving and I and I carved these two little figures and you know they they turned out okay and it's like I'm no Michelangelo or anything like that but I mean it, it was good it was, but I wasn't all that passionate about it so I did the two and I laid them aside and said yeah well I guess I can do that and and it didn't go anywhere because I didn't have much passion for it it's um, like me and golf. And some people just, like, you just say the word. Some people get excited. Some people roll their eyes. Um, so I'm not great at it, but I like it. But I really haven't been passionate enough about golf to put the time and the money and all that into it to, to get good at it. Now, if somebody invites me out to, to play golf, it's like as the weather warms up, if anybody wants to take me golfing, it's entertaining. And, um, but it's, <laughs> you know, I'll go, but it's like I just, I'm not all that passionate about it. So if I can fit it around my schedule, I'll do it. Now, for some this idea of, uh, of passion, maybe in an area that's a bit more dignified or, or a cause that is more important than sports or hobbies. And I know some of you took a deep breath, what could be more important than sports? But no, seriously. 
It could be a cause that, that they're passionate about. For example, mothers against drunk drivers, mad. Now that was something that started years ago when a teenage daughter was actually killed by a drunk driver. And that was a tragedy. And the mother of that teenager decided she wanted to do something about it. So she started lobbying, she started doing it, and she formed this group called Mothers, of Drunk, uh, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. And she was, she was driven, she was passionate, she wanted to, um, for others not to have to experience the pain that she did. She wanted to try to prevent others from going through what she went through. She was passionate about it, very passionate about it. And it, and it, and it really uh, became a nationwide in the United States, and it's even come into Canada now, a very powerful movement. There's, there's, a, there's an aspect of our humanity that we get emotionally invested in things. It's, it's part of our makeup. It's part of who we are. And it has its good points and bad points. Passion can, can do a lot of damage when misdirected, but when properly placed, it's, it's a powerful force for good. It really is. And here's why. Passion feeds action. Passion feeds action. That's what makes it so powerful. It's not just the, the, the feeling of it, but it's what it, it caused the actions that go with it. The things we are passionate about tend to get priority in our lives. The things that we're passionate about get done. Because without passion, it's unlikely that anyone will stay the course when life gets difficult. And life will get difficult. Like that, That's part of it. So without that passion to fuel it, sometimes it doesn't happen. In church circles, or churkles for those that remember when I used that term, we're we're bringing it back today. Um, In church circles, today's known as Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. It's the time of the year when the church celebrates Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the Sunday before Easter. And it, and it, it's the, it marks the beginning of Passion Week, which goes through the Sunday, and then there's different things during the week, and then there's Good Friday. Uh, speaking of which, Good Friday here, 10 a.m. on this Friday morning. It's going to be a great time to come together as multiple churches across our city. And uh, so that's, that's happening. And, and then it culminates, culminates with Easter, Easter Sunday, which is coming up next Sunday. April 1st is Easter. Easter Sunday. We're gathering here. It's going to be a great time to celebrate what God is doing, to celebrate God's resurrection, to come together and to do that. We've actually got some invite cards. We printed them out and they're at the back and you'll be able to pick them up after the service. But these invite cards, on one side there's an invite to the Good Friday and on the other and the information and then for Easter Sunday. And that's just something to put into your hand. It's a tool that you can use to invite friends, neighbors, colleagues, whatever, and just kind of, hey, I don't know what you're doing this weekend, but if you're not, you know, and so it's a way to invite them. It's a great time to invite friends. In the last few weeks, we've talked about finding identity. That was the the first message in the series. We we talked about finding strength and about finding purpose. Today, I want to talk about finding passion. And in order to do that, I want us to look at the account of Jesus' last journey to Jerusalem, this Palm Sunday journey that he was on before his betrayal, death, crucifixion, and resurrection. I want to give you a bit of the story. Jesus had been with his disciples, and he'd been ministering all over the countryside, different places, and he made it very plain to them. He says, I have to go to Jerusalem. And he knew what was coming, and he was on this journey. He was was resolutely focused. He was on his way to Jerusalem. 
And as part of this, the story goes, as he was, as he was approaching Jerusalem, he came across this, this town, and, and when he got to this town, he sent his, two of his disciples into the town, and he said, guys, go in, there you will find a donkey with, with her colt there, tied, and I want you to go in and, and, and get that donkey and bring it back to me. That, that was the first Uber. Um, where they, so, so they went in, and they actually, they did that, they got the donkey, and they brought it to Jesus, and Jesus that's how he entered Jerusalem. That's how he approached the last leg is he traveled that way. And, and that's significant. That's important because if a king, if a monarch, if a ruler came to a city riding on a donkey, they came in peace. If they came, you know, riding on like a prancing war horse, that was a bad thing. Like that, that meant they were coming for a fight. But Jesus came. So it was representative, his journey. He was coming. And, and the people, the crowds were cheering. And they were throwing down their cloaks in front of the colt. And they were, they were taking palm branches and breaking them and, and waving them and laying them down. And hence the name Palm Sunday. And so that was, that was this journey that he was on as he approached Jerusalem. The crowds were screaming. It actually says in Matthew chapter 21, verse 9, it says, The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I mean, and this was a huge moment. This was like the crowd was ecstatic. People were basically shouting, the king has come. The Messiah is here. He is going to save us. It was huge. And then, interestingly enough, some of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees that happened to be along, they, they, they decided they'd get in on the action. And we're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 19. If you have a Bible with you, Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 39. I believe it's going to be up on the screens as well. But Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 39, says this. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd. So the Pharisees are the religious rulers of the day. They're in the crowd. They said to Jesus, like, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Right? They were, they were hailing him as the Messiah. And the, the, the Pharisees weren't having any of it. Jesus says to him, listen, guys, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones are going to cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, so he, this huge moment, right? He's riding it. And as he saw the city, he wept over it. He began to weep. And in, and in this moment of, of emotion, he says, Jerusalem, if you even you had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you. They will encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. They didn't recognize what was happening. Now, I want you to think of the, I mean, even just the emotions of that moment and that day, but Jesus wept over the city that would crucify him. His, his heart was, was just torn apart when he looked upon the city. I mean, he, he knew this trip would be his last. He, he understood. He got it. He, he was on a mission. He would not be dissuaded from what was happening. He knew he would be handed over to the Romans to be crucified. Yet he wept. And he wept not for himself, but for the city. He wept 
Because as he looked over them, he knew what was coming. He knew their destruction was imminent because of the situation that they were in. He, he wasn't vengeful. He was broken by what he saw. I mean, such a display of passion. And it was in the form of compassion. You know, the two words are, <laughs> compassion is just passion that's directed towards another individual. So this idea of passion and compassion, it wasn't casual or surfacy or he didn't get caught up in the hype of the moment and the accolades that were happening around him. He was ready to die for this. And he was ready to die for the people that would later crucify him. Later in Matthew, it's recorded that, that Jesus, when talking about this city, he said the words, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus could picture the next generation the children, and his longing to be able to bring them into that place of closeness to his heart, and yet they were not willing. What such heart-wrenching passion. And it goes on from there. Matthew, I want to pick up the, math, the story of Matthew chapter 21, starting at verse 10. So we've had him, Jesus is coming into town, and then in, in Matthew 21, starting at verse 10, down to verse 14. It says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem... The whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? I mean, think about it. There's the crowds. There's the accolades. There's the palm branches. And it's like people are going like, who is this guy? And the crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple area, and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he said, it's written. My house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. And he healed them. Jesus was passionate. Like, he was so passionate about what he was doing. He was so passionate about the cause that was with him. He was passionate about the fate of the people that rejected him. He wept over Jerusalem. And when he witnessed the injustices in the temple... He was ticked. I mean, he flipped, literally. He started flipping tables. He, started, he reacted to the injustices that he was witnessing. And he, his, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer. He's like, this isn't right. What's happening here? This isn't the way it's supposed to be. And that's a quote from Isaiah chapter 56. When he starts to say, my house will be called a house of prayer, that was actually a reference to an Isaiah prophecy where Isaiah is talking about the nations, not just Jews, not just the nation of Israel, but nations coming and, and sacrificing and finding favor and attaching themselves to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the, God, the Lord of glory, the one and only Yahweh. And that was the Old Testament reference to that. And it talks about how it will be a house of prayer for the nations. It's a community for all. It, it was, Israel was meant to be a missional community in and of itself. They were meant to reach the nations. Now, because of Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, and it talks about in that account that the temple veil, the, 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 in the temple there was a, a curtain that separated the presence of God, the Holy of Holies, from everybody else. 
And when he died on the cross, it says that was, that was just ripped apart from the top to the bottom. And it gives us access. We, through Jesus, have access to, to God every day, no matter where we are. At this time, Jesus hadn't been crucified yet. It wasn't like that. People met with God in the temple. Yes, they could pray anywhere, but the place of worship, the place of encountering the presence of God was the temple. Now, that's important because it helps us to see what Jesus was so upset about because he was wild. He was not a happy camper. There's a couple things going on here. Here's the first one. The money changing that was going on. They would exchange the, the normal currency, the Roman currency, the currency of the day, they would exchange that for a temple currency, money that could only be used in the temple. Okay, so that's, what, that's and that's, okay, whatever, if that's, that's legitimate, that's fine. But it wasn't exactly 100% honest. They were charging crazy exchange rates, and they were skimming, so it was like, it had become something that was a bit of a money-making venture. They were being crooked in the temple, when it came to exchanging money for that. Here's, here's the next thing that was going on. What was happening was happening in the court of the Gentiles. Okay, there was different parts of the temple, and there was a part of the temple that they were, would actually allow the nations to come into to worship Yahweh. There was an area that was specific to them. Now, if you can imagine, it would be like this church on a Sunday morning. It would be all separated, and certain people could sit in one place, and, and certain people could sit in another. And that, that's just the way it was at that point. Not saying it was right, but that's just the way it was in the temple. And what was happening with all this commerce and everything that was going on, it was happening in the court of the Gentiles, where the people who were not Jews were allowed to worship God. So they were being displaced. And here's the third thing that it mentions. It talks about the, the lame and the blind coming to Jesus, and they would have been coming to him in that same area. So they're coming to him. They would not, those people, anyone with kind of a physical defect would not have been allowed into the actual temple. Whether they were Jews, Gentiles, didn't matter. Even if they were devout Jews, they wouldn't have been allowed access because it was believed that their handicap, whatever was going on with them, their, their condition excluded them because of the, they weren't allowed to go into the holy place because of that. Jesus healed them. Jesus gave them access. See, what the high priest was allowing to happen in that court of the Gentiles was a barrier. It was a barrier to the Gentiles worshiping the one true God. And he was so upset. He said, this should not be happening here. Like if you could imagine that, that the platform, and again, we're in the New Testament. It's, this isn't the case. But imagine that the platform is that place where people can meet with God. And you come into the church, and you come in, and you work your way down. But when you get here, there's, there's things going on that prevent you from engaging from what's going on inside. And what Jesus, he comes in, Jesus comes in, and he sees all this happening. And he's looking at people being excluded and barriers happening to people be able to connect with God. And he's, he's like, he's not having it. He goes, this should not be happening. This place, what's going on in there, should be for everyone. It's not exclusive, it's inclusive. It's for every tribe, every tongue, every nation to be included in what's going on there. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the temple, they were allowing a barrier. And Jesus was saying, no, 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 my house, my house. It's going to be a house of prayer for the nations. It's not just for the Jew. It's just not for men. It's not just for women. It's, it doesn't matter. It's for everyone, regardless there was a barrier, and he was not having it. 
He says, no. And he starts flipping over tables and driving out people. And it's like, people say, well, that's a little rash. It's like, yeah, but look at what was going on. Through his eyes, he was seeing people held back from his heavenly father. And he knows what it means when people get in the presence of his father. And he wasn't having it. My house will be a house of prayer for the nations. God loves all people with passion. Let me ask you, what breaks your heart enough that you weep over it? That actually gets a hold of you at a gut level and it brings tears to your eyes. You see it and you're moved. Let me ask you another question. What injustices make you so angry that you're willing to flip over, temple, or flip over tables and drive money changers out of the temple over it? We're not going to start flipping over temples. You see an injustice, and it moves you to the point where you're ready to react and say, no, this is not okay. And it moves you so that you begin to react. What do you have such a zeal for that it consumes you? It talks about, you know, his heart for the temple consumed him. What breaks your heart enough that you will weep over it? What injustices make you angry enough to flip over tables and drive out the money changers? What do you have zeal for that consumes you? One last question to go with that. Would God approve? Would he get behind you in that? Would God approve? You see, not all passion is created equal. Sometimes, quite frankly, we go nuts over stupid things. 2011. Let's go back. Hockey fans rioted after the Bruins defeated the Canucks to win the Stanley Cup in Vancouver. It was estimated that $5 million worth of damage was done that night. Not all causes are created equal, and not all passion is productive. Would God approve? You see, Jesus was passionate about the right things. Matthew 9, 36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Finding passion is kind of like having a heart for the same things that God does. It's having a, a, a sense of what is right and what is wrong and being willing to do something about it. It's the sense of, of really being consumed with the same things that consume the heart of God. See, we sing about passion Mostly because, you know, songwriters tend to be passionate people. So, you know, they write these songs, so they're these passionate songs. But can I just say that that doesn't necessarily make us passionate worshipers. Just because we sing a song or in a room with others singing a song, that's not making you a passionate follower of Christ. It's not about singing. I love how Paul, he's writing to the church in Rome, and he says, he says this in Romans chapter 9. He's just going to, like, Romans chapter 9 is great. It's like... Paul's just like putting out these things of how people should be living and just this reaction to, to grace and the gospel and what God gives us. And he says, he says them in Romans chapter 12, and I want you to think about this in the area of passion. He says, love must be sincere. And then he says, 
hate what is evil. Not, oh, that's unacceptable, I say. No, but it's hate what is evil. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor others above yourselves. He says, never be lacking in zeal. Don't lack passion, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Like stir it up within you. Be passionate about what God is passionate about. He says, be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. You get the picture? That's passion. That's not just showing up once a week. That's like being there. That's like living it. That's consumed by it. Be passionate. So how do we find this passion? Because like I've talked about having the right passion and, and Jesus, you know, God, it's like the answer is always Jesus. But it's like in that, it's like where do we find this passion? It's like what are we tapping into? How do we break through? Because I think deep down in many ways, most of us, like we want to be that way, but we're kind of like, once you've been comfortable for a while, Sometimes it's really hard to get out of that rut. And the longer you've been in a rut, the harder it is to get out of. And a rut has been described as a grave with both ends kicked out. <sighs> but you get into a rut and it's hard. It's like, well, what's going to break me out of this rut? Because it takes a lot of energy. If anybody you've been four-wheeling, Colin, Colin loves this. Anybody, you know, you get out, you get in the rut. If you slip into the ruts when you're out with your truck and you're four-wheeling and you get in the mud, it takes a lot of power and a lot of talent to get back out of those ruts. But it's worth it. Because that's the only way you can get back on track. How do you find this passion? Well, I think it's found, one of the keys to it, I believe, is found in the writings of a passionate man of God. His name was David. He was called a man after God's own heart. Now, he was passionate. And as we read the story of his life, sometimes that passion got him into trouble. But he was passionate about the things of God. And I want to read a psalm that he wrote, this poem. Psalm chapter 63, verse 1. And and I'll, I'll call the team back as I, as I wrap this up here. He said, Oh God, you are my God, and I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. And this next verse, take note of this. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. That's a God encounter. That's, that's a moment where, where David came face to face with his creator. There was a moment, there was, and these happened in the sanctuary, the power of his glory. And he says, your unfailing love is better to me than life itself. How I praise you. You see this progression. There's a hunger. It's like David's saying, a hunger for you, God. It's like, I thirst for you when I'm parched. It's like, it's like there's no water, but it's like you are like the only thing that satisfies. And he says, I have seen you in your sanctuary. Because I believe passion, godly passion, truly begins with an encounter with Almighty God. When we have that, that manifest presence of God, when we encounter the presence of God in that way, when we sense his presence and we encounter the, the creator of the universe, passion is awakened in us. And it's both personal revelation. It says, I have seen. David says, I have seen. It's a personal revelation. And it's a corporate revelation because he says, I have seen in your sanctuary. In your sanctuary. Your power and your glory. When we encounter God, our worldview, our heart is changed. The Spirit of God awakens something within us. It stirs something within us. Passion is found in 
him. Passion begins with encountering God. And that's great. Pentecostal circles, woohoo! Yes, let's encounter the presence of God. Let's fill the altars. Let's cry. Let's, you know, let's all those things. Let's, you know, let's encounter that power. And that's fantastic. And that's great. But I want us to realize that Jesus took it one step further. You gain that passion by encountering God. And compassion comes alive in us when we encounter people. When Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion. When we see God, we are filled with passion. When we see the need, when we see the injustice, when we see people, when we see the broken, we are moved with compassion. We need to see God. Oh, we need to see God. And this morning as we go into worship, I pray that we encounter the manifest presence of the Almighty God. That this morning, that this, this isn't just a throwaway service. You didn't just come here by accident. You didn't just show up to hear me preach. You showed up because I believe God drew you here. And why he drew you here is because he wants you to encounter him. And when we encounter him, when we experience that, something comes alive in us that nothing else can bring alive. It's the passion that dwells within us. Like, my God, my God, my God, my Lord and my God. And then I believe as we live that out, as we walk that out this week, as we grab some cards and we give it to somebody that we know needs to hear the gospel, when we grab some of those invites and we see somebody that's like, hey, you know, you know, we've been talking about some of this stuff. You might be interested in coming out. It's like, here, check this out. And we walk with a sense that's like, we're moved with compassion because we see the need. We see the injustice and say, that's not okay. And we're willing to do something about it. So many times we're, we're overwhelmed and but you know what? It's in the little things. It starts somewhere. It starts with something. It starts with someone. And we're called to respond. Church, we cannot afford to be blissfully oblivious to our city. And I know we're not. I know we love our city. But we can't afford to miss this. We can't afford to walk past and go, man, that's not okay. We need to walk past and be moved to action. The compassion within us would cause us to reach out, to do what others won't do, to reach people that others aren't reaching. I love the chairs in this room. They are so comfortable. I, I love the worship team. They are so talented. I mean, you don't even have to be in the in, you don't even have to be in a mood to worship God to come in and you can worship God because they are that good. But guys, it's not about comfortable seats and it's not about great music. It's about passion and compassion joining in this also, this can be the epicenter. This needs to be that place where it's like it starts and there's this there's this thing that erupts within us. The passion that erupts within us and the ripples of that impact and impact and impact and grow and grow and grow. It starts with encountering God. And it takes shape when we encounter people. Let's stand together. Let's worship the creator of the universe. Let's worship the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who came in triumphantly in peace, riding on the back of a donkey, but just a king who came to, and it's like he is in our midst. The spirit of God is here. The presence of God is here. Will we recognize it?
Will we reach out to it? Are we hungry enough? Are we thirsty enough to say, God, undo me? God, come fill me. God, I just surrender it to you. God, I need you. I'm so desperate. It's like I am so dry. I am so dead inside. God, bring life. Holy Spirit, ignite something within me. Let's worship him here this morning. Let's worship him here this morning.